Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Was... Do we start the podcast out like this every time? How are yeah, you? Yeah, we do. We're, we're never signature. different. What What would you like to be different with? I don't know. You don't have any ideas. You just I have complaints, not answers for you. You've just been a grump all day, huh? Yes. That's fine. Can you fix all my problems? Yes. <laughs> all right. Sup, fuckers. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, yeah, I might have blown out the mic with that. I'm yeah, you sorry. did. It's all right. Um, we'll forgive you. But yeah. Anyway. What's the story today? Oh, we're going to, well, I'll, I'll talk about it in a second. But anyway, what's going on? Well, what's going on is that we may or may not be constructing a website Yeah. for people to go visit. That's true. And hopefully it will be fun. Yeah. It'll be fun. But that's a teaser. <laughs> that's and it's not ready yet. It it's looks not like, ready yet. Doesn't it look ready that's okay the vibes aren't there uh-huh. but it is on the way we don't have the vibes yet no we haven't gotten the website vibes, vibes that's fine yes yeah i don't know i just wanted to talk about it but uh, tease it tease it a little bit um but yeah i mean i guess we can we can just jump on in we're gonna be talking about a uh, little tiny baby jessica have you ever heard about baby jessica do you know the story of baby jessica no i mean i've heard you say what you were doing but i have no idea what the story is you don't know anything about yeah no. i mean i didn't really know anything about it either which i feel like for people who are a little bit older is kind of crazy because this is such a huge huge story that was covered like it was the first story to really break out the 24-hour news cycle that we know today this was like really? one of the first if not like really the the first story of its kind that was covered by 24 hour news. So this was a huge, huge case. And yeah, I guess we can just jump on Wait, into no, it. I have bad feelings about this. It's about a baby. It is about a baby, baby Jessica. No, is she going to be okay? Well, well, I know she survives, but I'm apprehensive about a baby. Well, experiencing any type of pain. Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, if it makes you feel any better, it's lighter than last week. Okay, well, that's a very low bar. <laughs> that does not comfort me in any capacity. All right, well, let's just get into it, I guess. Um, so we're going to be taking our, our story down to Midland, Texas in 1986. And Midland at that time was a city of about 100,000 people in the middle of nowhere. Even its name speaks to its remoteness. It's a land roughly midway between El Paso and Fort Worth, about 300 miles from each. So it's it's in the middle, you of know? fucking nowhere? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it is a sprawl of rust-colored earth, fast food restaurants, gun shops, places that sell pickups, and places that fix them. At least at that time. I don't know what Midland's like now. It might be lovely, but that's what we're working with right now. Guns and trucks, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, her parents, oh, yeah, so baby Jessica's parents were Reba McClure, who was known as Sissy McClure, and Lewis McClure, who was called Chip, because everyone had a nickname. Sissy and Chip. Sissy and Chip. I love that. <laughs> yeah, they, they're great. Um, so they were 16 years old when they were married, and both sophomores in high school who would drop out soon after, and then two years after that, they had their daughter, Jessica, and 
that was when they were 18 years old because math two years <laughs> sure right they got um, married at 16 they did that's very young wow. but again it was the 80s is that well i mean what how uh, old were people getting married in the 80s not at 16 not 16 but that, that's I mean, hey. wild yeah that's quite the commitment yeah i'm like when i was 16 i didn't really know what i was going to eat for dinner let yeah. alone be able to make a lifelong commitment to somebody that's, else yeah that's accurate so mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Sissy was a daycare worker and Chip was a house painter. But we're going to start our story on the morning of October 14th, 1987. Little baby Jessica is 18 months old and playing in her Aunt Jamie's backyard with four other children. Jamie Moore, who was Sissy's sister, that's a tongue twister, Mm. Sissy's sister, ran a daycare center out of her backyard, uh, or out of her home, not just her backyard. It's not like a playpen for children. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just throw them in. It's like, a, it's like a petting zoo. Um, <laughs> no, it's a daycare out of her home at 3309 Tanner Drive. But that morning, Sissy was the only one taking care of the children. And, you know, they were all playing in the backyard. I'm not quite sure where Jamie was that morning, but it was only Sissy. But while Sissy was watching these kids, the phone started to ring inside, so Sissy ran into the house to answer it. Only minutes later, Sissy hears the children screaming, and she rushes back outside. When she gets to the backyard, she realizes that Jessica is no longer in the group of children. So she starts frantically searching around the backyard, but she's nowhere to be found. But that's when Sissy sees the children standing around this pipe that was sticking out of the ground, and they're all looking into it. This pipe was sticking three inches out of the ground and was only eight inches in diameter and went very deep into the ground. What the fuck? Is this like Mario style? <laughs> like literally? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Is that what happened? She went down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, but what, what's that world called in Mario Kart? Where you not Mario Kart? Where you go underneath the in the pipe and you like go underneath? Uh, terrible Mario knowledge. I'm sure right. somebody out there knows this and is very annoyed. All right, yeah. I'm sorry that person. They're probably screaming. We don't it. know. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, but yes, very much that. So to her horror, she realizes that her 18 month old baby has somehow fallen down this tiny pipe and is now trapped deep below its shaft. And I see you're trying to figure out how big eight inches is. It's That's uh, not big. No, it's very small. It's a very small pipe. That's a small baby. That well, yeah, but I uh, yeah. So <laughs> just yeah. <laughs> just yeah. That's she's that's just small. It is. So immediately Sissy starts to freak out, and as she's screaming down the pipe, she faintly hears Jessica start crying. So oh, no. at least she knows that she's alive. You know. Right. So she runs inside the house and frantically dials 911 and starts screaming to the dispatcher that her baby has fallen down a well and needs help ASAP. The police arrived within three minutes, but Sissy said that it felt like a lifetime. I mean, how could it not? Um, And the first police officers on the scene were 32-year-old Bobby Joe Hall and Andy Glasscock. And they knock on the door and Sissy is still freaking out and immediately bring them to the backyard. She just keeps saying over and over, I can't let my baby die. I got to get her out. And when they get back there, they see just how small this pipe is. And they're like, what the hell? Like, how how does a baby fall down there? But the police officers assure Sissy that they're going to get her baby out. Yeah, what are they going to do? Can you like throw a rope down there? I don't know. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Does she go head first or feet? Well, that was 
also a problem. They didn't know. They didn't know if she was head or foot or feet first. Shine a flashlight down there. Let's go. Well, Come on, they, police. That's my next bullet point. So <laughs> one of the police officers shines his flashlight down the hole and they can't see her. Oh, no. So Sissy tells the officers that her name is Jessica and they start calling down to try to get her to respond. And they start calling down to her and the first few times they call her name, they don't hear anything. And so everyone is just kind of holding their breath. But finally, she makes a small noise back and now they know at least she's still alive. So paramedics and a fire truck are on the scene at this point and they're just trying to figure out what they can even do to get this baby out of this pipe. So soon they get this big backhoe, I think is what it's called. It's like mm-hmm. the big bobcat machinery scoop hand guy. You oh, know the scooper. About? Yep. Yeah. Um, and they get that in the backyard by literally driving it through the neighbor's fence and they start to dig up like a... They Wait, start, they like knocked over the neighbor's fence? They literally drove it through the fence and like also Jamie's fence. Like the fences are gone that's fine i mean like if i was a neighbor i'd be like yes please destroy my property oh, yeah yeah i, mean, <laughs> I don't care yeah at that point it's like there's literally a baby there's a baby yeah so they start to try to dig parallel to this pipe but then the police have the crane stop and they're like maybe this isn't the best call because the vibrations from the digging could potentially make jessica slide even further down and this was a huge problem one because it would make it even harder to get to her, obviously, and she could potentially hurt herself even more. And they didn't know how bad her injuries were at this point, and they didn't really know how far she was down this well. Right. Question. Yes. What is the purpose of this pipe? It was an abandoned, like, water well. Okay. I don't know exactly why this pipe... I mean, it was, like, access to a well. Okay. So this pipe was was deep. It was deep. Sure. But it's old and not being used? I think so. Follow-up question. Yes. Why is this existing in the backyard of a daycare? Well, it's in the backyard of a home. She runs it out of her home. And I, apparently... I get that. And I get that. <laughs> but... And I hear you. However... <laughs> However... I don't like it. Plug it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's eight inches. You know? I know. Like, you would never think that an, like a person could fit down there. Yes. And also, I think that these... I don't remember exactly where I read it but it, or heard it, but it was like, oh, they're these pipes and these wells were like everywhere everywhere like it wasn't just this one random well yeah i mean i'm not blaming her like no they couldn't have seen this coming but like i'm just kind of like oh it sucks it (laughs) it seems like a large kind of eight inches is big for a pipe though to have in your backyard as a daycare anyway move on yeah enough dwelling yeah so they didn't know how far down this well was they also thought continuing to dig could cause the well to potentially cave in so they're like let's put a halt on this before we can get some more information. And they estimated that she was around 19 feet down the pipe, but they didn't know what position she was in, if she fell head first, or what was keeping her from slipping further. Yeah, I was like, did anyone see her go in? No. I mean, children, like little babies. (laughs) Yeah, but could they be of help? I wonder if they asked them. I don't know. I mean, they were picked up. Yeah. At that point, it's like, call your mom and get the hell out of here get out of here (laughs) yeah as more first responders start coming on the scene someone has the idea to get a microphone with a long cord that way they could lower it into the pipe and they'd be able to hear jessica better because the entire time they're just trying to call down to her to make sure that she continually makes noise so that they know that she's alive because Mm. again they don't know what the hell is going on so they're like hey let's get this microphone and let's put it down the pipe and that'll help 
So, what? I'm, like, imagining, like, them lowering, like, a singing microphone down. <laughs> it was kind of like a, like, one of those long, like, I get almost, it. like, newscaster microphones. You know sure. What I mean? um, and they start calling out to her again. And when they get her to make a sound back, they were able to figure out that she was actually 22 feet down this well because they were able to measure the cord from the microphone. Right. So they were smart. Yeah. And because of the success with the microphone, they sent down a thermal image camera down the hole and they were able to get kind of a side view of her and see that she's stuck with her right leg up, pinned up against the wall and her left leg down. So this poor baby's doing the splits, unfortunately. She fell and did the splits 22 feet. Yeah. Oh my God, poor baby. I know. By that point, rescuers had also started pumping oxygen into the pipe in case Jessica was having a hard time breathing down there. Right. And after some deliberation, the rescue team agreed that they needed to dig a second shaft parallel to the well. And then once they dig deep enough, kind of just tunnel across to try to break through and get to Jessica. Yeah, this is a tough risk rescue mission because, like, she's not coming back up. No. You're going to have to cut that yeah. pipe, but you're going to have to do it so that it doesn't like heat up too. Mm-hmm. Or potentially drill into her. Uh, yeah. Right. And then while you're digging, you can't compress it so that the pipe like literally splits on her. This is, I'm very curious how they do this. <laughs> yeah. So they did end up using the backhoe for a little bit of time to dig as far down as they possibly could. But not too far down, they hit bedrock, which basically meant that the backhoe wasn't going to work anymore because it's really, really hard rock. Sure. But luckily, Midland, Texas was very much an oil drilling town. So there was plenty of equipment around used to drill for oil, which they could use. So they brought in what was called a rat hole rig, which I believe is used in drilling for oil, I think. I don't know exactly. No idea. But it's basically just this big drill that can go down much farther and can also drill through harder rock. But even with this new heavy duty equipment, the process was still very, very slow moving. Every you know hour, the parents are like, what is going on? When are you gonna get my baby out? And the police and the firefighters and you know the paramedics are like, yeah, uh, it's just gonna be a couple more hours. Like they just keep telling, uh... They just keep telling them, just a couple more hours. It's it's only gonna... We'll have her out by the evening. No, you ain't. Yeah. And by this time, news has gotten out that this baby is in a well, and all of the, you know, first responders are at this home in the, in the middle of nowhere. So it's like a small town, you know, shit's getting around fast. So... Now there's like a shit ton of people that are like in this backyard and like kind of watching, kind of trying to help. Like it's it's getting chaotic really quick. And the rock that they were drilling through had layers about four feet thick and they were harder than granite, which I don't, I guess granite is super duper hard. <laughs> That's just it's something. It's on your countertop. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> when I put my bowl on it, it doesn't go through. It's like super hard. Yeah, super hard. Yeah, but I mean, so that's a fact. Anyway, they also... <laughs> didn't want to drill too close to the well in case the shaft collapsed in on her. So they're like, we got to drill far, th far enough away that it, this won't potentially cave in, but at the same time, close enough that we can make it over to her and pull her out. Very delicate balance. Yeah, do all that, please. Right. And as the hours pass in the backyard, it starts to fill up, like I said, with just so many people. There were firefighters, policemen, volunteers, medical professionals, journalists, TV stations, and just normal people that heard about this little, little girl trapped in a well and think they can help. 
So everyone had an idea about what the best thing to do was, so things were getting pretty chaotic. Oh, I can imagine just the number of bad ideas that are flying around right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there. so there's a made-for-TV movie about this story called Everybody's Baby, I believe, and it, I, you could watch it on YouTube if you're interested, but there was a man who, like, brought his little kid, and he's like, my my young boy is really strong. We can lower him down the pipe, and then we'll he'll grab onto her, and we'll pull him up. And then he was like, what the, no, don't put another like, child down the well. Please. Good idea. No. <laughs> I don't know if no. that I don't know if that actually happened or if that was just in the movie, but what did actually happen were there was a couple contortionists that came by came by and they were like, How can I help? They were like, Can and you're I you're not I mean, as an adult contortionist, you're not fitting into an eight. But contortionists age. are pretty cool, no? They're cool, but they ain't fitting in that pipe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But there actually was this well, well I actually have it later on in my notes, but there was this guy who had who was born without collarbones who also showed up and he was like, I can squeeze really small because I don't have any collarbones. And they were like, maybe we'll use you. Stand over there. <laughs> like, Whoa, that's crazy. I know. So like people were really coming out of the woodworks to try to help and, you know, get this baby out of the well. There's a man without collarbones in Midland, Texas. Or <laughs> <laughs> he traveled to Midland, Texas. That was that also was happening as people were traveling from all over the country to try to help get this baby out. Wow crazy and so the entire rescue ordeal was covered on it was covered live on cnn which was america's first and at that time only 24-hour news network and the only other event that americans had ever been broadcasted and watched round the clock before this was the explosion of the challenger space shuttle only like a year before this and many say that the story of baby jessica was the turning point in the history of news media and is when the world of 24-hour news really started. So this experience is really the reason why we have a 24-hour news cycle, which is really interesting. It's kind of crazy because that's yeah. just very much the norm now. Yeah. But I mean, you got to believe that if it wasn't this story, something else would have done it. Yeah, probably. But I mean, it was baby Jessica. So baby Jessica. here we are. Um, and yeah, the rescue of baby Jessica had people everywhere glued to their television. And throughout this entire experience, Andy Glasscock spent his time laying on his stomach and just calling down to Jessica to make sure that she was still alive through the entire process. He had children of his own, so he wanted to not only make sure that she was alive throughout the whole process, but also try to soothe her in any way that he could. He would call down to her, how does a kitten go? And then he would, oh my God. And then he would hold his breath until he heard a small meow, <laughs> like a small meow, <laughs> because Ooh. no kid can resist making exactly. animal noises. I still can't. <laughs> right. Because you give me an baby. opportunity to make a moo sound, I'm taking I'm it. I'm taking it. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. So at one point, he even heard Jessica quietly singing nursery rhymes to herself and the Winnie the Pooh song. Oh. So she's down there just trying to soothe herself. She's wow. the tiniest little Winnie the Pooh. Oh my god. Isn't that so sad? Uh dude, I would have I would have teared up yeah, if I was that officer. I'm sure he was. He had children of his own. Yep. Oh my god. Oh, and he said after listening to her for so long, he could tell her moods as like the hours went on. He said at one point she was singing, at another point when a jackhammer started up, she didn't say any words but would kind of get this huffy little voice. He said you could tell it was an angry voice. I would say 80% of the time she was either crying or making some kind of noise we could hear. When we weren't calling words of encouragement, we'd tell her to sing for us. I'd never forget her singing Winnie the Pooh. And so, you know, 
is this she he just knows he knows when she's mad he knows when she's okay he knows when she's asleep like it's just kind of crazy very in tune gotcha (laughs) right so the rescue team kept telling the parents and now the crowd surrounding the area the rescue would wrap up in just a few hours but hours would pass and very little progress would be made by that night the temperature started to drop and it was even colder for jessica because she was so far underground And so the temperature in the pipe was around 60 degrees, which meant that they were looking at possible hypothermia because she's a tiny baby. She can't be that cold for that long. Right. So rescuers were now pumping oxygen as well as warm air into the pipe in an effort to try to keep Jessica's body temperature warm. And I think they had it at like 80 degrees. So they had to cut the power and gas surrounding in the surrounding areas because apparently if it had been left on, it would have potentially put the, the rescuers at risk because, I don't know, there could have been some explosion or that, I don't know exactly what happened. But basically they had to cut the power and like the gas of the entire surrounding area so while this entire thing is going on everyone in the area doesn't have power doesn't have well wait i'm trying to think how that makes sense because well if they are drilling it they might hit like a gas line maybe they just turned off the gas i think that's what it was because they couldn't have turned off the electricity because they were watching television the entire time right and they're broadcasting it right yeah there's a bunch of journalists outside well yeah but i mean that's not like plugged into anything they just got batteries. I don't know how it works, but like <laughs> the gas line makes sense to me. Yeah, I think the I think it's the gas. At this point, dehydration wasn't an issue. However, a medical professional who was on the scene estimated that they didn't need to start worrying about that until around 36, maybe 48 hours in. Some people wondered if they should try to send food or water down to her, but they didn't know the extent of her internal injuries and doing anything like that could have possibly made her situation worse which I don't really completely understand, but they're medical professionals, so I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I don't understand why either, but maybe if you put more stuff in your stomach, if you're bleeding, like, yeah. it might put pressure. Maybe. On what you're bleeding. Completely. Forcing un- it to bleed more or clogging it so you clot. I have no idea. Completely uneducated guesses, but, you know, it's fine. We can, we can <laughs> this speculate. This is the blind leading the blind. Right. Anyway, so let's keep going. <laughs> I consulted WebMD once. I know what I'm talking about. Right. Coming from- I went to PT this yeah, year. I've been to PT. And before. I was at the dentist yesterday. Exactly. I know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> Finally, they had finished drilling downward and had made a hole 29 feet deep and 30 inches wide. It took them a long time. This was a long ass time. a good hole. Yeah. But now they had to send men down the hole and start drilling the five feet across to connect the hole to the well and pull out baby Jessica. (laughs) Right. We're on the same page. Sure. They sent one of their men all the way down with a jackhammer so that he could start chipping away at the rock, you know, horizontally. But as he attempted to jackhammer the side of the hole it didn't even make a dent. Like it was, it barely even did anything. He comes back up and he's like, uh, we got a problem. This shit's not working. And so (laughs) with what they were doing, they were making about a half an inch of progress every hour and they needed to make it 60 inches across. Yeah. She's going to die before you get there. Yeah. That was the problem. They were like, (laughs) they were like, well, thank you, Alex. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Captain obvious. So they used the media coverage to put out a request for anyone who had any hard rock drilling experience to please come to 3309 Tanner Drive. I think that's what it was. And come help. They're like, please. 
At this point, it's well into the next day and hundreds of people have gathered around this small house on Tanner Drive and the ones who have arrived earliest, mostly from local newspapers and television stations as well as CNN, were only a few feet away from the two holes, but just on the other side of the wooden fence. Those who came next quickly realized that they needed ladders and those who came later brought even higher ladders. So people are, like, now they're building up. They're building bleachers. Pretty much. Like, because, you know, they're they're trying to film it. They're trying to get pictures of it. They're trying to see what's going on. So... What a spectacle. It's completely a spectacle. And also, you know, if a person on a ladder got down from the ladder to, like, I don't know, pee, someone else would take the ladder. And you had to, like, protect your ladder. You needed, like, a bouncer for your ladder. Otherwise... (laughs) Not insane. They were like, they were like, wait a minute, I'm going to build up. (laughs) Like, that's the right call. So for blocks around the site, neighbors filled every available coffee pot and left them on their front doorsteps for reporters, along with boxes of donuts, sandwiches, and cold drinks. Some even let strangers with press passes use their showers and sleep on their couches and will borrow their telephones. So the entire town is like coming together and really making this whole thing happen, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. So trusting. I know. Could you imagine? You would never have done that shit. Would ever. you have? Probably. Yeah. In 1986. Well, yeah. I mean, if Today, I was in 1980, probably. What, I'm not talking about you in 1986. I'd probably still do it today if I if the person looked, you know, put together. It would depend, I think, for me. Uh, And it would depend on if I was the only one home. Because if I was, then fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, did you have something else to say? Yeah, no, I was going to say, thinking about Midland, Texas, though, like, everyone probably has a gun. So it's like... Oh, yeah. Try and fight with somebody, not going to go well for you. Well, not only that, but, like, it's a small town where everyone knows everyone, and it's the 80s. So it's like, you probably left your door unlocked anyway, and, like, you know, it was not... It was a different time. Yeah. So... You know, it was just kind (laughs) at that time. It wasn't scary. Sure. So at this point, the rescue team is made up of these, like, local policemen, firemen. Like, they don't know exactly what the best thing to do is. So they decide to fly in David Lilly, who was an investigator for the U.S. Mine Safety and Health Administration. And he had extensive knowledge of mining and was pretty much known as the guy you call when you have a mining accident. When he gets there, they kind of give him a quick interview on the spot to make sure that he actually is as qualified as right, he says he is. Right, yeah, I was thinking how, like, how many people are trying to get through this? A lot of people are like, I right? have the best idea, you're going to get like, her out. All right, shut up, Earl. Right, Go back much. to your ladder. Yeah, right, We don't exactly. need you right now, no. okay? Your child is not going to go down Mm-mm. this pipe and pull this child out. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, they give him a quick interview on the spot and very quickly realize that he is as qualified as they think he is. Uh, and they basically hand, hand over the entire underground operation to him. They're like, great, you're here. It's your problem now. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. And they were planning on drilling at a slightly upward angle to try to get to her. But he told them that if they did that, it was possible that they could drill right into her or it would be possible that she could fall even further down because there was nothing stopping stopping there was nothing stopping it there was nothing stopping her from doing that and they really didn't want that happening because there was about 80 to 100 feet more of well that she could have fallen into and since it was an abandoned water well she could have potentially fallen into water and drowned not good highly dangerous 
for this little baby. And she can't swim. Yeah, you can't exist in this pipe, barely. Right. So once that message was passed on, David Lilly gave them the green light to keep going. He was like, okay, basically, you can't drill up. You got to drill just straight across. And they were like, sick. And then David Lilly was like, sick, sick. let's get it. You know, like they were like, <laughs> let's do this thing. Did they like have a secret handshake by this point? Yeah, they did like the woogity woogity, gave him a fist bump, <laughs> snaps, they turned around. Anyway, so the team switches it up. They're like, we're going to jackhammer straight across. So they're doing that. It's still going very, very slowly. Hours and hours and hours go by. But finally, they are able to get through all of the rock and hit the well. But now the rock that they had to get through to break through the well was even harder and the jackhammer straight up was not going to work. But luckily, a company in Tennessee offered a high pressure water drill. So eventually they were able to break through and into the well. But the opening they made was extremely small. So a local roofing con- oh, this is the guy, okay? So a local roofing contractor named Ron Short comes by to help and he was born without collarbones and he basically was like I want to offer any assistance I can and there was even a contortionist like I said earlier but at this point the rescue team didn't know how hurt Jessica was and they knew that pulling her out could even cause more damage or potentially even kill her so they wanted someone with more experience than just a dude who was born without collarbones you know like that's yeah. that's his qualifying factor I don't think so yeah maybe send like a doctor nurse EMT right so that evening Robert O'Donnell who was a firefighter with paramedic experience inched through the crowd in the backyard and found his chief and offered his assistance. At noon on the third day, the reporters clung to their ladders and everybody watched as Robert O'Donnell with a mining light strapped to his head was lowered by a cable harness down the shaft. And he was chosen, oh yes? Wait, the 30 inch hole or the pipe? The 30 inch hole. Okay. The big, the big parallel shaft. Big hole, yep. Yeah. So he was chosen because of his experience, but also because he was tall and thin. He was six feet and weighing only 145 pounds. That is a twig. Yeah, so he's a lanky guy. Perfect. However, he didn't mention that he was also claustrophobic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, maybe this isn't the... thing. like, wait a minute. (laughs) This isn't the guy. Hold on. We don't need him... Having a panic attack. Having a panic attack. While he's trying to pull out an 18-month-old child. Right, right. Uh, Did he just not mention this to anyone? No. Oh, boy. So he gets lowered into the hole, and he's laying down on his back, and he wriggled his head first through the cross tunnel with his arms out in front of him, and the air was very wet and sticky, and within moments, he was bathed in sweat, and it was like trying to slither through a tightly wrapped sleeping bag. Which sounds terrible. <laughs> sounds Yeah, no, I'm terrible. not having a good time. No, no. And I'm not claustrophobic. <laughs> I am claustrophobic, and I'm having a terrible time thinking about that. Amazing. Yeah. And he inched his way to the end of the tunnel until he could look up the shaft that held Jessica. So only the first few feet were lined with the pipe that protruded up into the yard, and then the rest of the shaft was raw rock wall. But so... Anyway, Jessica's parents also called her Juicy. They had a nickname for her as well, and it was Juicy. So when he made it to her, he said, Juicy, I'm here to help you. And he asked her to move her leg, and she did. 
So he was satisfied with that because that meant that she probably had no overwhelming spinal injuries. And so he started to tug on her foot, but she didn't budge. She was wedged in too tight and he did not have enough room to maneuver. So at that point, he accepted the fact that he would have to leave so that the diggers could potentially widen the tunnel. But before he left, he promised her that he'd come back. So he's like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'll be back. (laughs) It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, And he almost wasn't allowed to, to make a second attempt because he comes back up and he's all worked up he's you know claustrophobic to begin with so he's freaking out about that and doctors on the scene were worried that he was too distraught to go back and attempt a second try but he insisted i was gonna say this is one hell of a way to beat your fears yeah extremely intense so when he reached the end of the tunnel again he coated the walls near jessica's dangling foot with ky lubricating jelly and started pulling and moving her a fraction of an inch at a time. So finally, he gave one last pull and he was able to get her free. And now she was lying in the tunnel with him nose to nose. So she's out of the pipe. Woo! Wait, how? (laughs) She pulled on her leg. Yeah. But the pipe's only eight inches wide. What happened? She's doing the splits, bro. Well, because basically the doctor or like, you know, medical professionals on the scene were like, you might break her bones, that you just have to keep pulling. We can fix her bones, but we can't bring can't her back sit. to life. You know, just be as careful as possible. And he was like, uh. Carefully break her bones just, while you're facing your fear of claustrophobia. Yeah, just carefully dislocate her th- her hip. So Jessica's out. And by out, I mean they're in still in the tunnel. Hell and they're, yeah. they're nose to nose. So he is must have been ecstatic. You know, he's like, holy shit, got her out. And as he maneuvered her out of the tunnel and into the shaft, Steve For Steve Forbes, who was another fire department paramedic, was waiting with a backboard to, to to strap her to it and keep her from moving and possibly hurting herself further. Steve and Jessica were lifted from the shaft up the 29 feet toward the waiting world. And during the last minutes of her rescue, 3.1 million households were tuned into CNN alone. All three networks in. <laughs> All three. (laughs) All three networks interrupted their regular programming to cover that moment. Dan Rather from, I believe, a local news station reported, quote, live and direct from Midland, Texas, Jessica McClure is up. She's alive. What a fighter. Amen. Yes. We got him, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, this has got to be like on par with like when we landed on the moon or something. How many people are watching? Exactly right. That's like. Well, actually, probably not on par. Well, no, but you know know what? But like for the country, the entire country was watching. This is a huge win. Big win. Yeah. They were watching live for hours and hours and days. Like this was a huge thing. So they got her up and it took this entire ordeal took 58 hours to get Jessica out of the well, but they did it and she was alive. Wow. A bit like honestly... 58 hours is pretty close to her needing water. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. So she reached the top. She was wrapped in gauze and awake, but clearly dazed, was immediately surrounded by everyone and everyone was started cheering. So this entire backyard full of hundreds of people just erupted in, in cheering and pictures and, you know, everything. So it was crazy. 
And there were photos captured of this moment as Jessica was cradled in the arms of the paramedic and her head was wrapped in white gauze and her arms were caked in dirt and her eyes were barely open. And one of them even won a Pulitzer Prize, one of the photos, and I'll, I'll post it on Instagram because it's, it's crazy. And her mother was trying to get to her, but, you know, they wouldn't let her touch her because they're like, hey, she might die. So we need to get her to the hospital. But they got them in an ambulance and they got to the hospital. And Ronald Reagan told Jessica's parents, Chip and Sissy, that, or in a telephone call shortly after the rescue, that everybody in America became godfathers and godmothers of Jessica while this was going on. So, Seriously? Yeah. And viewers sent gifts, toys, and flowers, and money. And there was money that was put into a trust fund for Jessica to inherit when she turned 25 years old. And there was a total of $800,000 donated into that trust fund for her. Damn, she's set for life, yo, in 1986. Yeah. I mean, what's her Venmo, dude? <laughs> what's, Je- what's baby Jessica's Venmo? That's amazing. Yeah. And they also engraved a covering for the well that said, quote, for Jessica 10 16 with love from all of us. So they covered it up that way. Nothing like that could have ever happened ever again. Yep, good call, guys. Right. And so she spent 36 days in Midland Memorial Hospital undergoing 15 surgeries for her severe forehead cut and right foot wounds. Because her right foot was above her head for so long, it became gangrenous. Doctors believed that the foot was dead and was going to have to be completely amputated. But actually, the doctors were able to save her foot by using skin from her hip to reconstruct it. And so they only ended up needing needing to take her pinky toe, which... Oh, who needs it? Pretty sick. Yeah, compared to the whole foot, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so they saved her foot. Saved her foot? Lost her little toe. That's all right. That's fine. She doesn't need it. Like, nah. That's such a great win. Yeah, I think so. Love that. Yeah, and so all of her doctors, her the pediatricians, general practitioners, vascular surgeons, and orthopedic surgeons donated all their time. So it didn't cost them nothing. And the rest of her bill was about $50,000, but was paid by anonymous donors. So wow. pretty sick. This family is getting treated. Yeah. So the only thing that she had after this entire ordeal was chronic but controllable rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, the the missing small toe on her right foot and a a small diagonal scar from her hairline to the bridge of her nose and also a small bald spot on the back of her head. But that is the only permanent physical signs of her ordeal. So yeah, but like, can you cover it up if you have long hair? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I think when she was down there, she would like rest her head on the rock in front of her, which caused the big gash in her forehead. And then Mm. she would put her head back, which caused the bald spot. Mm. But, you know, very manageable injuries and fine. And not death. And not death. So that's good. And no amputation, really, except for her pinky toe, but whatever. Yeah. But during her stay at the hospital, they received an average of 50 calls an hour. Which is crazy. That's very a lot. Uh, Her room, the hallway outside of her room, and eventually the entire hospital was filled with stuffed bears, elephants, balloons, flowers, baskets of fruits. The Walt Disney Company sent a five-foot-tall Winnie the Pooh, along with an invitation to visit Disneyland as their guest. A well-wisher in Vienna sent a chocolate cake. Someone closer to home shipped Jessica a custom-made waterbed. A Sharpay puppy which they named Shirley, was also a gift. She received enough clothing to last her until she was five. She was invited to the Vatican for an uh, an audience with the Pope. 
to to throw <laughs> out the first ball at the Texas Rangers home opener and the end to Washington to be the Grand Marshal of the National Independence Day Parade. God damn. <laughs> Jessica, Maybe I should fall down a well. Yo, where's the main inch pipes at? <laughs> Give me a pipe that I can barely fit into. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I need one of those. Yeah. Send me head first down there. I don't care. <laughs> no, not head first. No, no. Actually, Actually, no. I take it yeah, back. Yeah, no, I can't do it. I I'm, take I'm it back. Soft. I'm far too claustrophobic for that. Oh, man. Uh, so while Jessica was still in the hospital, Midland held a parade to honor her and all the people who helped rescue her. And they called it a salute to Jessica's heroes. Between 35,000 and 40,000 people lined the eight blocks of downtown, more than one-third of the city's population. The drilling rig that first dug the parallel shaft was on display in the parade, as well as the thermal imaging camera used to watch Jessica while she was in the hole, and the vibraphone used to listen to her. After all of this, things changed for the people that were involved. You know, it's a small town, so it's, you know, small town fame and money was involved and things just kind of went a little bit nuts. But worse than that, the pressure and fame had a lasting effect on the first responders. So this is a quote from one of the articles about, you know, what happened with the first responders and like what they kind of went through with, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole attention. So it says, quote, the attention heaped on McClure's trickled down to the central players in the rescue. Andy Glasscock was seen in the Michael Jackson video Man in the Mirror, which included flashes of major news events. Forbes and O'Donnell each received a wall full of citations and plaques, and O'Donnell was asked to serve as a judge for the G.I. Joe Search for Real American Heroes and to attend the White House award ceremony for that program. Not only was he a guest when Oprah Winfrey brought her show to Midland, but he also sat next to her at the press conference beforehand. He was invited to speak at so many firefighter conventions around the country that he developed a, a slide presentation. An area a a few blocks away was renamed Volunteer Park, and at the actual site of the rescue, an iron plate was welded over the pipe. Like I said, it says, Jessica, with love from all of us, and in an emotional ceremony, the rescuers, including O'Donnell, planted a red bud seedling surrounded by a ring of lavender chrysanthemums over the refilled parallel shaft. And even after all that... Hollywood got involved and wanted to sign over the story for, you know, TV and movie rights. And there was just a lot of stuff going on, which had a kind of a negative effect on the people involved. Right. I'm always curious, though, about like the right to tell a story. Like, who owns that? Well, that was they kind of argued about that. There was like two separate sides of, you know, the argument. And I don't know exactly what happened, but they did not make it a movie. Do they? Well, the bottom line is Jessica uh, Jessica should be getting a cut of that, period. (laughs) right. I don't know. Does the family own it? Do the first responders own it? I don't know. Do you own a story? I don't know. What does that mean? I don't really know. But yeah, Hollywood was reaching out and they were like, let's do something with this. Let's ruin it. Right. And because of all this sudden fame and pressure, Robert O'Donnell, the man who pulled Jessica out of the well, became depressed, addicted to painkillers, and had PTSD, and he did end up taking his life in 1995. Fuck. Which is super tragic. Um, After being hailed a hero, Robert enjoyed instant fame, but found it hard to return to normal life after all of it disappeared. And after his death, his brother told spokesman, ever since that Jessica deal, his life fell apart. 
we're going to go back in time a little bit. Two and a half years after the accident, Jessica's parents filed for divorce and they were only 18 years old or they were only 18 years old when they were thrust into the limelight with their daughter. And even after she was rescued, they became overwhelmed by the avalanche of publicity that was suddenly a part of their life. Their divorce was messy and every new snippet of gossip played out in the tabloids. And so they both went on to remarry, but they did have a divorce because of this ordeal. Wow. Yeah. That's messy. Yeah. How old were they when they got divorced then? 20? Yeah. 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 I mean, but you know, they're just... I mean, they're kids. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. it's weird to say that at 24, but right. I mean, I kind of really was still a kid when I was 18. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. for sure. 18 and definitely 20. So right. Um, but despite her parents' drama, baby Jessica's childhood remained shielded and pretty normal. It wasn't until she was five that she even learned what had happened to her after watching an episode of Rescue 911. Yo, can you imagine that at five years old? You're like, yo, that's me. She didn't know. She that's was watching. Me. She was watching the the episode of Rescue Nine One One, and she said that she distinctly remembers watching and being like, oh, that's so sad. And then her mom was like, that's you. And she was like, what? what? Yeah. So <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine how much that shatters your perception of reality and memory. Yeah. Yeah, so she didn't remember this experience at all. No, I mean, it was extremely traumatic. And also she was 18 months old. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I feel like some things stick with you, especially that. But maybe not. I don't know. I, I guess mean, not in this case, but... Your brain can do some really incredible things, you know? That it can. <laughs> that it can. Uh, so in 2006, at the age of 19, she married Daniel Morales. And the couple had two children, Simon and Cheyenne, just two years apart. And something kind of funny about this is she never told uh, Daniel while she was dating him uh, who she was. And he actually almost broke up with her because he said that people would always come up to her and ask her questions. And he didn't like the attention. He didn't really know why it was happening. Oh. But right before he did that, his sister was like, you know who she is, right? And he was like, what are you talking about? And so she told him that he was dating baby Jessica. And he was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, no. Oh, dude. Like, for sure, I'm dating baby Jessica. So... He, they didn't end up breaking up. They got married. They had children. You know, happy ending. So by the time she was 25 and had access to the trust fund created for her all those years ago, her youngest was the, actually the same age that she was when she fell down the well. And wow. the so you better not have a pipe in your yeah. backyard. How about that? Jessica, you got a pipe in your backyard? You better close that shit up. Uh, the family used the money to buy a modest house just three kilometers from the accident site. Um, but they lost a lot of money in the stock market dive in 2008 unfortunately trying to do math here wow. this happened in 86 yep she was 18 months mm -hmm. 25 years later or 23 and a half years later sure. she she got it so it was in 06 plus that's three what i said 2006 and so it on. literally tanked right before she got it no because she would have gotten it in 2009 2008 oh maybe right? yeah i guess oh that blows yeah but you know they but bought. It's still eight hundred thousand dollars that you yeah. didn't have before. Yeah. Also, I can't imagine that it was worth less, or it was worth less when they pulled it out than it was when they like put it into the stock market in nineteen eighty six. And I was just about to have an aside about this. Yeah, I was like, not. I hope to God that they were earning interest on that money for oh her the entire time. I don't know shit about shit, so I don't. I don't. 
I'm just saying, know. if they put it in the S and P 500, well diversified, oh, she would have gotten oh, great we're, returns we're, right even before we're going off the rails the here. Market crash. Okay, okay, let's let's move it back. So, uh, <laughs> Jessica said that she's happy with what she has. That's where we're at. So Jessica McClure still lives in the Midland area. She worked as a special education teacher, uh, special education teacher's aide in an elementary school, and I believe now she's a stay-at-home mother. Um, and she said that she never wanted to be defined by her instant fame as a toddler. Growing up, she did get bullied for being baby Jessica for a couple of years. She said kids are blunt and they say what's on their minds. And she continued by saying, especially when everybody in the world is like, oh, baby Jessica got money. I wore hand-me-downs. So people were, you know, a little salty that she had this money just kind of handed to her. But I mean, she didn't get it until she was 25 anyway. So yeah, it wasn't really handed to her. Yeah, but kids are mean. So yeah, kids are dicks. Like straight up. Yes. Like... I wonder what, like, what did they bolt, like, what were the lines that they would give her? Like, they were just saying, like, oh, you have money and you're wearing hand-me-downs? Like, the no, rest of us? they said that, like, yeah, the rest of them. Why would you jump into a pipe? Like, was that a line of attack? Like, I don't know. How ridiculous. I wasn't there. But, you weren't there? <laughs> no. Um, but she said that because she went through that, it only made her a better mother to her own children. Because she expresses how important it is to have a good heart and to treat people kindly. And in an interview with People, she said, seeing the well for the first time as an adult, it was hard, but it, was, it wasn't it was upsetting. To me, it's a symbol that it could have taken my life, but it didn't. I had God on my side that day. And she wants to use the event and spectacle to teach her kids to always be humble and to never forget where they came from and not to take life for granted. Amen, Jessica. Yeah. What a great message. Yeah. And that is the story of baby Jessica. I love that. But actually, one one interesting little tidbit. Um, so 2017 marked the 30-year anniversary of the rescue of baby Jessica, and the media compared the mission to the 2018 cave rescue of the young soccer team in Thailand. I was just about to draw that parallel. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, same thing, like 24-hour news yeah. spectacle, like just the world coming together, some tennessee drilling company mm -hmm. donates a high pressure water driller that yeah. ends up saving this poor child mm -hmm. specialists came in from all over the place to yeah. help like it was Although very i have similar. to say underground underground uh cave diver might be a little more intense rare <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> but yeah very similar yeah. i guess this was the first of its kind it was it, yeah. that was the whole yeah um but yeah that's that's the story it's a kind of a I fun fun can I say fun fun it's kind of a fun one <laughs> yeah for this podcast <laughs> I mean it's it's less bleak yes I mean it's like obviously we don't want an 18 month year old to be 22 feet down a well but like it's not no, the worst story in the but world she survived yeah and she's she fine. seems like she's got a really good uh outlook yeah. on on what happened and she's happy she for has sure. kids and definitely I mean it sounds like she's probably well set because they paid for a house at least and they probably had some money left over if they probably. bought a quote-unquote modest house yeah, right during the 2008 crash mm -hmm. yeah I, and then now she's a stay-at-home mom so like, yeah she gets to raise her kids and exactly live her life however the fuck she wants to hell yeah yeah about that the other thing i was curious like why did they pick 25 like oh like this, when she like, got it yeah i don't, I don't know, know. I guess, like, it makes sense because you don't want to give it to somebody who's, like, too, too young, young, so they yeah. just blow it all. Right. But, like, I just don't know how they, like, arrive at that number. I don't know. 
No, no, no. I'm a numbers guy. Why do I always fixate on this shit? It's I'm just right. like, this is my stream of stream of consciousness. No, I moment. mean, it is like a, it's an, an odd thing. I Honestly, I'd never even thought about the fact that people pick the age when you get a trust fund. I just thought that it was like a specific thing. Yeah. It was like, oh, you get it when you turn 18 or you turn, you know, whatever. No, but, but I bet that there's something, because I think your prefrontal cortex, like, fully Isn't developed f- until you're 25. Yeah, something, yeah. so, like, that might have been the the idea, yeah. which maybe makes sense. That does make sense. You know, I feel like, I feel like I'm in the last stages right now. Love that Like, for I'm you. still not there. We love maturity. <laughs> Give it to me. Yes. Love it. Anyway, um, yeah, that's the story. What, you got a good thing? Uh, do I have a good thing? Yeah, I might steal your good thing, but I'm going to say it first because we're, we are... Wait, no. I have something that might be different. Uh, my friend Paul is mm-hmm. coming in from San Francisco for Hell a yeah. wedding. Shout out, Paul. So, shout out, Paul. I don't actually think he listens. It's just okay. not his jam, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's right, coming fuck in. Paul. No, yeah, just... fuck Paul. Okay. He won't listen to this. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's coming for a wedding. I'll get to see him. I haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get to hang out. It'll be fun. Sick. Yeah, my good thing is uh, I made a fun set of nails. Oh, this is... Explain what you did because this is kind of genius. Oh, uh, thank you. You're giving me a much more credit than I deserve. But um, I, I can't like have nails or nail polish or acrylics or whatever when I work uh, because I'm a bartender and it's not sanitary. Um, so I always have naked nails, but I'm going home for like nine days and I have these like press on nails that if I glue them on, stay on for like two weeks. So they're kind of like acrylics. So I basically made them um, without them being on my fingers, which was difficult and time consuming, but it works and they look great. Yes, so that you can put them on before you go on a plane. Yeah, so I'm basically going to come home from work, and then I'm going to glue them on my fingers, and then I'm going to get on a plane and go home. Boom. And I was, because you were explaining to me your your dilemma, you're like, well, I can't have nails at work, but I want nails when I go home, Exactly. But I can't take them with me. And I was right. like, how do you reconcile that? Like, it just seems like you got to pick one. I got a big brain. Here you are finessing. I got a big old brain. A way to win both. Exactly. And uh, that's that's a great that's good thing. That's the show, everyone. Thank I'm, you. Yeah, this is the show. Like, I'm hyping so. it up. Let's <laughs> go nails. Thank you. Thank you for gassing me up. I'll take it any day of the week. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you have a story, send it to us at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at nottodaypodcast. The T on the end of podcast is a three. Follow us on TikTok at nottodaypodcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.